elect salvation. Uh, why is it that we just don't jump right on into it and devour it? We sing, I want to be more like you. That's one of the problems. The reality is we want to be saved, but we don't want to be like who? We don't want to be like our Savior. We want salvation, but we don't want to be like him. And when we lose that desire to be like him, to talk like him, to have the character of Christ, to magnify him, then we are neglecting the blessing that we have in Christ. We're neglecting it. That is something that has to take place in us, that I want to be a vessel for him. Do you really want to be a vessel? See, somewhere along life's walk, we no longer want to be used by him, but we want to use him. And somewhere we, we miss that. When we're first saved, we're, we're, we're praying, Lord, use me. Use my voice. Use me, Lord. Use me to speak for you. Use my hands. Use my feet. Use me, Lord. But somewhere, we lose the desire of being used by God, but then we want to use God. God, pay this bill. God, take care of this for me. God, do this for me. You forget, God's not an errand boy. And when you lose that desire of wanting to be used by him, you lost the desire of really being saved. Because that's what salvation is all about. He chose you to use you. He chose you to use you. He chose you to use your voice to sing his praises. He chose you that he could put his word into you that you may speak of his glory and of his presence. He chose you that you might go here and there telling his message and sharing his love. And you need to recognize that. I want to be a vessel you work through. Not just that you do things for, but that you work through. Just a difference. And we need to get there. We need to get there. If you go ahead over to my page, I would appreciate it. The whole process is that you and I come to that place where we really desire him. We desire him. We want him more than anything else. And when we don't want him, and we don't desire him, we're neglecting a great salvation. We're neglecting a great relationship in him. In him. Now, understand this. Neglecting, that word there in the Greek simply means drifting away. Most of us just don't run away from Christ. We drift away. Things in life somehow just grab us little by little, little by little, and Next thing we know, we're walking away from Christ, and we get out there so far, and we wonder, how did we get out there? How did I get into this life? How did I get into this mess? You went chasing somewhat your dream rather than the dream that God has for you. Big difference. You can run after your dream, and God will let you run after your dream. And your dream will destroy you. Your dream will cause you to cry. Your dream will cause you all type of misery. But the dream that God has for you is nothing but a dream of rejoicing and praise. Because God will open the doors. God will take down and set up. God will move you and position you. God will do it. Because that's in his plan for your life. But when you go off chasing your dream, 
you're going to neglect everything about the kingdom of God. For that even in your dream, you won't even talk about the things of God. In your position, you won't even talk about the things of God. The people you meet, you won't talk or share about the goodness of God. But when you're living God's dream, God's plan, I don't care who you meet, you're going to share about the goodness of God. I don't care how high up you go, you're going to talk about this God that raised you up and opened the doors and blessed you. Big difference, because now you're living God's dream for your life rather than your dream for your life. And what happens when you neglect God? You're just drifting out here. Wherever the wind, you, you ever see the wind pick up a, a leaf out there in the fall? The wind just takes that leaf wherever it wants to go. Because the wind's in control, not the leaf. And sin, when we're in sin, sin takes us places that we never want to go. It just blows us around. And we have no control. <laughs> this becomes part of our problem in neglecting this salvation. It is easier to drift than it is to struggle and to fight and to stand against the one who wants to keep us from growing in faith. It's easier just to drift than to stand against Satan or to fight against sin or to struggle. And understand the Christian life is a struggle because that fleshly man and that spiritual man, that fleshly woman, that spiritual woman, they're going to war with each other. Not just at certain times, all the time. And you have to understand, Satan wants to keep you from growing in faith. He keeps you from progressing in life, in the spiritual life. Satan wants to keep you as a babe in Christ. And he doesn't want you to grow. Victoria, nice that you're back there. Now, what is that young boy doing? He wants to play. But is he doing what a baby want to do? Now, see what's in her lap is what a lot of us as grown Christians want to do, play. We want to have our way. And we'll make all kind of noise to get our way. And we don't care who's looking at us, because it's none of their business. You think when he cries out, he cares if all y'all look at him? Not a bit. Only thing he wants is what? And that's what a lot of Christians want. And God says, yeah, at once you were a babe, but you are to grow and mature. And Paul puts it in another way. You put away childish things. You put them away. And he says, Satan wants to keep you from growing and progressing in your spiritual life. And he keeps you from becoming more than you could ever dream or think that you could be. A lot of people are stuck where they are in life because they can't see themselves being anything more than what they are at the present moment. And the one who told you that lie is Satan. That you can't do any better. You can't be any more. You'll be surprised when you really allow God to be in control of your life, what God will do in your life. Amen. And how he will develop you. Because that's what God's all about, is developing you. And giving you a hope that you would have never thought of. Or a life that you would have never dreamed of. Neglecting salvation. We're going to run through a couple of verses real quick. Isaiah 61, 10 through 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. 
When you no longer really delight in the Lord, you're neglecting him. When I no longer ravish a body lane and I don't have eyes for a lane and I don't, ooh. I mean, at that point, I'm going to neglect her. Any man who no longer sees his wife as the most beautiful creature in his life is going to neglect her. When she's no longer important and the number one even more important than himself, he's going to neglect her. He's going to mistreat. He's going to abandon. He's going to leave. I delight. When you no longer delight in the one that you say that you love, you're going to neglect him. And he says, I delight greatly in the Lord, and my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. I want you to take a note of something. Garments is in the plural. Because salvation, as we talked about last week, the meaning of salvation is to be saved. But it's being saved from many different things. So there's many different garments of this salvation that God is working in your life. And he says that he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me with, look at the word robe now, a singular, with righteousness. And look as he goes on. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Whenever you go to a wedding, can you pick out the bride? Can you pick out the bridegroom? In most cases, you can. There's not too many people there with a long white dress and a long gown. You know, there's not too many people when they come through the door that have a different outfit. The bridegroom kind of like stands out. There's something about each one of them that stands out. There's something about when you're a Christian, you stand out. Because the way you're dressed, your character, the way you live. He says, boy, they are dressed in a way as a bridegroom adorns his head with a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, catch this second part here that he says. This is so good. For as the soul makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, everything in the ground, when you put a seed in the ground, everything in that ground is there for that seed to what? To grow. To grow. When God plants his seed in you, God has planted everything else in you to cause salvation to grow. Now, that's not saying there's not going to be some, a fight getting above ground. Because, see, as that seed comes above ground, all that dirt that you put over it, guess what it got to do? It got to move it. Amen. And sometime in salvation, we got to move some stuff. We got to move it in order to get above ground. And he says, boy, for as the soul makes sprout, comes up, and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. That if you're saved, righteousness and praise is going to spring up from your life before all nations. I don't care where you go. Before all people groups, it's going to happen. He goes on, he says, Philippians 1.27, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you no longer conduct yourself or your behavior does not show forth that you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're neglecting your salvation. So with your mouth, you're saying, oh, I'm saved. But everything else in your life is shouting, no, I'm not. Or is shouting this, I'm rebelling against God. Or is shouting this, I'm disobedient toward God. Or is shouting this, I don't believe God. You will find a lot of us as Christians neglect God because we don't believe he's able to do what he has promised us that he will do. And what we forget about God's promises is this. God is not a liar. What he has promised, he will do. The problem is this here. 
He has to prepare you to fit the promise. The promise is there. The promise is sure. But you're not ready for the promise yet. You can claim it all day long. If your life is not ready for that. Just like the ground that takes the seed. Sometimes you have to break it up. Sometimes you have to put some fertilizer in it. Sometimes you got to put something else, some lime down there. You got to do some work with the ground to prepare it for the seed. God has to prepare your life for the promise that you're reading. And oftentimes we'll go off claiming the promise. He says, well, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Are you conducting yourself in a manner that is worthy of God's promises? Are you conducting yourself in a fashion that God can really honor you and bless you? And he goes on, he says, Then whether I come and see you only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. How many of you are standing firm? I don't care what's going on in your life. Are you standing for Christ? Because you lose a job doesn't mean you run away from God. Because things don't always work out your way don't mean that you run away from God. The question is, no matter what's going on in your life, are you standing firm? Because if you're not standing firm in Christ, you're neglecting him. You're neglecting him. And he goes on, he says, contending, contending. Are you fighting for the faith? Are you fighting for what you believe? Because, see, oftentimes Satan will come and he'll rob you. He is a thief and he'll take from you. God wants to bless you and Satan will hold him up. He will block him. He will cause you to live in such a way that those blessings do not come. But when God sees you contending and you fighting for the faith and you struggling in your faith, God will give you victory. But he got to see you contending for it. See? Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Are you contending? Are you struggling? Are you fighting for your faith? Are you really holding to it? If you're not, you're neglecting your faith. You're not fighting for your faith. You're not desirous of your faith. He goes on and he says in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, everybody believes in a God. The issue is, have they really made him Lord and Savior of their life? And he said, if you haven't really done that, he said, I don't know you. Will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, catch this second part. But only he who does the will of my Father. Those are some strong words. Only he who does the will of my Father will enter in. If you're not doing God's will, don't look to enter in. <laughs> now you say, well, I got to be doing his will every moment of my life, every second of my life, constantly in my life. I was going back through as I'm going through this study and I was reading Presbyterian hyper-Calvinistic you. And I gave the book over to Elaine. And I said, I want you to read these two pages. And the theologian that she is, she said, that's not true. That's not true. This isn't right. That isn't right. Under, under a hyper-Calvinistic view, if God, when you were born, the seed was planted in you to come to God, you would have no other choice but to come to God and you would be saved no matter what. But if that seed was not placed in you at birth or while you were yet in your mother's womb, then you were destined to be lost. And you couldn't come to God if you wanted to. 
And that's why she was going back through. No, that's not true. That's not. Because it was talking about this free will and how God then is the sovereign God over free will. And God is only the sovereign God over free will in those who he has placed his will in. But if he has not placed his will in you, then you are not going to do his will. And therefore, you would not be called one of the elect. And one of the verses that uh, you was talking about in Sunday school, that is God's will for all to be saved. Under hyper-Calvinisticism, that's interpreted in this manner. It is God's will for you to be saved only if he has placed that will in you. She's still saying not true. (laughs) And he says, but only he who does the will of my father. Now, I want you to take some for a moment. That's your what? Choice. That's the freedom that God's given you. That you can will to do his will or you can will not to do his will. And if you will not to do his will and you say you are a Christian, then you are neglecting your salvation. Because you were saved for that purpose to carry out his will. Philippians 3, 18, 19, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross. And if you're living as an enemy of the cross and you're fighting against God's will rather than living out God's will for your life, you really are then neglecting your salvation. And he says, many live as the enemies of the cross. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. And some of us as Christians, we have no shame. We look more like the world than we do as godly women or godly men. Now catch this last part because this this is the whole thing in a nutshell. Their mind is where? On earthly things. And when you put your mind just on earthly things, you're neglecting the kingdom of God. You're neglecting your salvation. You're neglecting the Holy Spirit. You're neglecting everything about God because all that you're thinking about is earthly things or just yourself. You're about pleasing you, not about the Lord. If you can understand this principle, If your desire will be unto God, God's desire will be unto you. If you desire to please God, God will desire to please you. And he simply says, their mind is on earthly things. On earthly things. How many of you here today would say, yeah, my mind is on earthly things. But Lord, I want to change that. I want to change that. I want to change that. I want to get my mind off me. I want to get my mind off my own pleasures. I want to get my mind off of doing what I want to do. But Lord, I really want your will in my life. And that has to become a prayer for you. That God would change your focus. That God would change your interests. And oftentimes in life, we don't want to change our interests. I want to do this. Rick Rose, who is a pastor down in Dover, Ohio, Rick Rose was vice president of a good-sized large bank. I met Rick while going to school. And Rick would have never dreamed of being a pastor. He loves figures. And Rick was making good money as a vice president of a good-sized bank in Pennsylvania. And he gave all of that up to take less than a third of what he was making as a pastor. But you asked him today, and he'll tell you, best decision I ever made, and God has blessed me tremendously. He has a son over in China teaching English. He has a daughter who's went through a divorce, and her husband's in jail for murder. But what God has done with that daughter, even going through all that hardship, He's just seen God's hand just move. 
you cannot beat God. You can't beat him. Now, Scripture reveals the neglect of our salvation comes because we refuse to believe God. And what I want you to understand is this here. If you refuse to believe God, you are an unbeliever. You are an unbeliever. You're an unbeliever of what God has promised you about your life. You're an unbeliever that God has a plan for your life. You're an unbeliever that God intends for you to live holy. You're an unbeliever that God wants to prosper you. Now, prosperity in biblical sense does not mean just money. You need to understand that. Prosperity comes in your character. That's why the scripture talks. It's better to have a good name than gold and silver. He's going to prosper you in so many other ways. Finances may be one of those ways, but in so many other ways. But if you neglect your salvation, neglect comes about only because you will not believe God. You ask any child, why they're disobedient to their parent. And they'll tell you, because my parent don't ever follow through with what they say anyhow. So you're trying to say to a child, come here. And the child go on doing what they want to do. Because the child already knows you're not going to take any action. Now when you offer the child, I'll buy you a candy bar, I'll give you, now the child will come, because what? You have bribed the child to do good. Understand this. God is not going to bribe you to do what is right. He won't do that. You have to desire to do what is right from within. And that the Holy Spirit is prompting that within you to do what is right. That's one of the ways you know that you're saved is the struggle that you're having with your flesh and the Holy Spirit. In John 5, 39, verse 40, he says, you diligently study the scriptures. You're constantly looking at the scriptures. But they testify of me. But look at the second part of what he says. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet, you refuse. And when you refuse, you're willing to neglect. You're you're an unbeliever at that point. You refuse to come to me for what purpose? That you may have life. That you may have life. And that you may have it abundantly. You refuse to do it my way. That you may have life. And have life abundantly. And that you can live life happily and joyfully. No, you rather live in misery. You you rather live in an area where you don't have no understanding about what's going to take place tomorrow. God has all your tomorrow. I don't worry about my tomorrow because God has taken care of me. He's proven it in the past. I don't have to worry about my tomorrows. God will take care of you. You become his responsibility. You're no longer responsible for yourself. He takes care of you. But if you refuse to come to him, then you got to struggle through life the best you can. Make it the best way you can. Hope that you'll find somebody that loves you and really have your best interests. But when you really trust God, he brings to you the man, the woman, everything that you have need of in life. Because God loves you. Now, why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to camp there in Hebrews a little bit. And I want you to see something. Because the first thing he does in this first verse is a warning. He warns us. Oftentimes we're not too good in, in really being cautious about warnings. Right down the street here, at least maybe once a year or within a year and a half, Ohio Edison got to come out and replace this 
telephone pole right on this curve. Sometime during the year, Acre Metropolitan Housing got to come back out and refix that wall. Because people won't take the warning of that curve being there, and you got to slow up going around that curve. But some people believe they're such an expert at their driving that they can take that curve down there at 50 miles an hour and they tear that wall up. Some of us as Christians think we're such an expert in leading our own lives that we mess it up. We mess it up. He says in that verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard and what we've been taught. We need to pay much more attention to what we've been taught and what we've heard about biblical truth. We need to really hear that and give sincere attention to it. Because what happens in church, we come in church and get a bunch of hoop sometimes and a bunch of feel-goody and so forth, but we go out here and we don't know how to live life. And there is a Satan, there is an enemy who wants to destroy you, who wants to mess your life up. I have no problems telling young men, you have too many babies, you're going to be poor. You're going to be poor before you get to be 30 because the time the court get done taking all your paycheck, you ain't going to even want to work. And you're going to go through life having nothing. For the young girl need to understand this. You have too many babies, nobody wants you anyhow. Who wants to marry somebody already got four or five kids? And then all the rest of the men out there talk about him. Yeah, he's taking care of so-and-so kid. He, he's housing so-and-so kid. He's doing this for so-and-so's kid. He says, we need to take earnestly what we have heard about God's word and put it into practice. Live it out. Because God's word is to safeguard us. God's word is to protect us. God's word is to encourage us. God's word is to be a light unto our path. And he simply says, we need to give careful attention to it. Now, look what else he says. Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. King James says that it may not slip away. What you have heard doesn't slip away from you. Or that you yourself don't drift away from what you have heard and been taught. How many children drift away from what they've been taught at home? They're not living like their parents raised them. My dad loved all of his children, all 14 of us. But my one daughter, she, not my daughter, but his one daughter, my oldest sister, she started calling herself the black sheep of the family. She had gifts. She could out-type anybody at South High School. She had a scholarship for Akron U, for secretarial. She could just go on that typewriter before computers ever came in. And she was good with her shorthand. She was a lovely young lady. And at 18, at that time you weren't grown until you were 21 though, but at 18 she started working in a bar. And her whole life, until she was older in life, was in a bar. I don't know another woman that shot two men and cut up one man with a machete. I've never seen a mother have to come from out of town and rescue her son and take him back home. But with my sister, I saw that in her life. 
She's the only one out of 14 children that had no children. The only time my dad would go into a bar to see her was if he was with one of my older brothers who would drink and go in and see my sister. Other than that, he would never go. So she assumed my dad did not love her, that my dad hated her. No. My dad would not confirm that type of life. And God, I've seen God work a miracle in two of my siblings' life. One was her. Because before she died, she would come up every day and spend time with my dad. And my wife and I, were, we were able to watch a reconciliation take place. And we were able to hear my dad say, I've always loved you. I just didn't like your lifestyle, and I was not going to agree with that lifestyle, and you were not going to force that lifestyle on me. We think we're going to live any kind of life out here, and we're going to force that lifestyle on him, and we're not. It doesn't mean he don't love us. But he's not going to accept any kind of lifestyle. And therefore, Paul gives this warning. Don't allow what God has taught you and has revealed to you to slip away from you or you slip away from it. He moves on a little further because now he's going to talk about the punishment that's going to take place. He says now, the messages of angels were binding. God's word is always binding. And he says, if you violate it, there's punishment. So he says, in verse 2, he says, For if the message spoken by angels, disobedience received is just punishment. Now what I want you to recognize is just punishment. God is not a respecter of person. It can be reverend, it can be deacon, it can be elder, it can be praise leader, it can be usher, it can be... If you sin, God's going to punish. Doesn't matter about your title, don't matter about your position. It's a just punishment for your disobedience. And God says, I'm going to do it. And what he's saying here, if... That word was true because the angel spoke the message. How much more true is it going to be because Jesus spoke it? In Hebrews 3, he goes a little bit further. He says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord. Not by angels, but by Jesus Christ. Not by angels, but by Jesus. And what Jesus commands of us. Not what an angel commands of us. But what Jesus is commanding of us. If I'm punished because I disobeyed the message of the angels. How much more am I going to be punished if I disobey the Lord? My dad and mom had a rule in their house, and it was simply this. When they left home, the oldest one was in charge. And my brother Leonard, he didn't take a lot of nonsense. Leonard liked peace. Leonard was the third oldest. Coy Zalis and no Coy Zalis Robert didn't learn the four photos. I'm the eighth. And uh, that little rule applied all the way down through. The oldest person at home was in charge. If dad came back home 
him and mom from playing bridge or bid whiz or going shopping or whatever they were doing, if that house was not in order, that oldest person getting tore up. And Leonard wasn't going to get tore up. Leonard would take rope, and when you act up, he'd tie you up and set you in a corner. And sometimes Leonard would have two or three of us tied up, sitting in the, <laughs> the corner. I see what I'm going to get to him. Leonard very quickly understood that when dad and mom left, he was responsible and he was not going to get a whooping because of your miss. <laughs> Understanding not only was he going to get a whooping, but you were going to get one too. But Leonard was making sure he wasn't going to get one. And he would tie us up, and we used to joke about that and laugh about that as we all got older, that Leonard would tie us up, put us in the corner, and after about two or three of us get tied up, the rest of us are sitting there at the radio, and we're just listening. <laughs> all because we didn't want to be tied up. And listen to what the scripture says. A just punishment. That when you sin, God is going to justly punish you. The degree of that punishment can be different because there is a degree of punishment that God, God just don't punish. It's a degree of punishment. There's a difference between just giving a swat and there's a difference in giving a swat that a person can know the difference. And he says, boy, hey, it's binding. The message is binding. And because the message is binding, the punishment is binding. You can't get away from it. Go with me to Acts 28. How, do, how we neglect it. Go to Acts chapter 28 and verse 27. He says... For this people's heart has become callous. You got to guard your heart. Why? Because the scripture says the issues of life flow out of where? Out of the heart. It flows out of the heart. Your desires flow out of your heart. And if your heart becomes callous, it becomes insensitive to the things of God. Have you ever burned yourself? And you get that little harsh part, that callous part there, it lose sensitivity. And that's what he's talking about. That when you lose sensitivity towards God, you will neglect him. You don't really care how he feels, how he thinks, what he wants of you. You're insensitive towards him. And it's very easy to walk away from people who you are insensitive towards or you don't care about, or you don't love, or you don't respect, or you don't fear. And he says, they grow a heart that is callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They hardly hear. It's not that they don't hear. They don't want to hear. A lot of children can be plain. But they don't want to hear what their parents are saying. So they just keep on what? They just keep on doing what they want to do. That's a lot of us as adults. We hear what God is saying, but we don't want to hear him, and we just keep doing what we want to do. And they have closed their eyes. Maybe you close your eyes too. The things that God has already brought you through, the things that God has been merciful and gracious unto you, you close your eyes to. And you don't want to even see what God has done for you or for others or what God's doing. You choose to close your eyes towards God.
They close their eyes. They hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Because they refuse not to do these things. But God says, boy, if you will just open your heart to me, and you'll open your eyes, and if you'll just hear me, I'll heal you. I'll heal you. I'll bless you. If you'll just do those things. But you have to open your heart to me. You have to give me your ears. You have to give me your eyes that when I do things, you'll recognize and you'll say, thank you, Jesus. He says, I'll heal you. See, there's no sin that God's grace cannot deal with. We'll never fall too far away from God that God can't reach us. The question is, do I want it? Do I want him? Do I want him? For there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Go to Psalms 101, verses 4 and 5. Psalms 101. Listen to what he says. And then we're going to run through real quick to finish up here. Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. Psalms 101, verse 4. Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Listen to what God says. I don't have nothing to do with evil. If you choose to do evil, if you choose to sin, my presence is not there. Wherefore, Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. When we neglect God and we get a proud heart, God says, I'm not going to endure you. How many of you like to be around somebody who's always bragging on themselves? They can tell you how beautiful they are or how well-dressed they are or how, how, what they got or what they're doing, but they never want to hear from you. And in the manner in which they talk, they're always putting everybody else, what, down while they're lifting what? And God says, that's a proud heart. And I'm not going to be around it. (laughs) Because, see, if it's me and you, guess who's going to be lifted up? (laughs) Him and him alone. Who's going to be praised? Him. Him. How should we escape becomes that whole issue. And the point that I want to really hit on is this last one. And I want you to open your ears for me and really hear this and follow me. He says, this salvation is first announced by the Lord. So the value, because it is the Lord who does it, that he speaks very loudly. And the Lord should be more important than the angel. Both have an important message. But the one has a much more weightier message and a much more valuable. And because if you were judged and punished because of what the angel said, how much more will it be because of? He gives a parable also in Matthew 21. We're not going to turn to it, but 33 through 40, where it talks about a man with his vineyard. And he rents it out. And he sends people to collect the rent. And they kill them. They kill. He keeps sinning and they kill. And finally he sends his son who represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And they kill his son. And it says, what do you think the master will do when he come to these people? When you disgrace the name of Jesus Christ and you walk over the grace that he gives you and throw your trash on it, 
What do you think the Father's going to do with you? If the voice of the angel had value, how much more? Come on down a little further with me. Get into verse 4, 3 and 4. We're going to read them together there at that point. He says, in 3, he says, How should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, now look at the confirmation that takes place. It is confirmed by those who what? Who heard. Who heard. Who heard? The apostles. The apostles. Then they begin to tell the story. They begin to share the message. They confirm what Jesus has said. They confirm it. The truth, as we go a little further, because oftentimes we will think the signs are confirming the truth. No. The signs are not confirming the truth. He goes on, he says a little bit further. He says, if we ignore such a great salvation, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distribute according to his will. He says, it testified. The signs testify. Now, stay with me for a moment. The truth is confirmed by those who heard it. God is not out trying to prove his truths to you. Because what God has said is true, period. Whether you believe it or not, it will stand on its own. The signs and the wonders and miracles... And the gifts of the Holy Spirit now is what I want you to really pay attention for me for a moment. When you accept the message and you believe the message, then the testimony of the signs begin to appear in your life. Not that they are confirming the word per se, but they're confirming that you're believing righteously. That these things begin to take place in your life that you can't explain. So when it talks about the miracles that take place, what's happening is God's power in your life that you attest to and you can see and you can say, how did he do that? How did he do it? See, when I was leaving college, I was worrying about how was I going to pay my loans. A Lutheran church, I'm down in Georgia, and a Lutheran church in Columbus somehow selected me, and they paid off all my loans that I could leave school with no debt. Only a living God could do that. Okay. Only a living God could do that. Okay. The whole thing, God's going to confirm through testimony that you're believing right and what you've heard is right by what is going to take place now. If any man be in Christ, God says now, hey, new things Old things are going to pass away. Behold, all things become new. What causes them new things to take place in your life? The power of God. The miracles that begin to take place in your life. The doors that begin to open in your life. The people that God brings into your life to help you go from here to there. Okay? He begins to do it. That's the miracles. That's, that is the power that you begin to see. Those are the signs you begin to see. And those signs begin to say, hey, you're living holy. You're living righteously. You're living in such a way that you please your father. Amen. He goes on. 
because he says, God also testified to it by sights and wonders and various miracles. All that's one. And then he says, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know a lot of commentaries would go very quickly to these are the gifts of God in 1 Corinthians 12 and then Romans 12. I want to take another right here. Because, see, the gifts of God in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, those are gifts that empower us to do ministry. Those are gifts that empower us to do ministry. I like the way another writer explains this one. He says, because you so pleased God, because you believed his word, and you're walking and following after him, that God through the Holy Spirit just gives you this gift, and this gift, and this gift, that every good and perfect gift cometh from where? From above. And the Holy Spirit brings those gifts to you. And the Holy Spirit gives you this. And the Holy Spirit gives you that. Not so much now for ministry, but for who? See, God gave me a gift in Elaine. God gave me a gift in Tyler, Faith, and Gus. God gave me a gift in Akron Alliance Fellowship. I don't know how many churches would put up with me. God gave me a gift by giving you, each one of you, into my life. God has given me so many gifts of people coming along and assisting at this time or doing this. One time my car totally broke down, didn't have a car, didn't have no money for a car. Five men went together and bought us a car. That was just a gift from God. Just a gift from God. One time, boy, because... I was young in the pastorate, and at that time, Reagan changed the rules. He said, as pastors, you did not have to be in Social Security. So I opted out of Social Security, and I'm going to take that money, I'm going to put it somewhere else, but I didn't keep up with it because the whole process, I had a wife and three kids, and I'm using that money to live on, big mistake, but you learn through those process. And then, before he left office, he came back and changed it. And the pastors who opt out, we had to gather up the money and pay it back in. And I'm saying, where am I going to get that money? So the government locked down my accounts. The government did this. And one gentleman came and said, Gus, how much do you owe? And he just paid it all. A gift of God. That you begin to see the gifts of God in your life that confirms, that says, yes, you're believing right and you're living right and you're doing what is pleasing to God. And when you do what is pleasing to God, he'll just bless you and give you the gift. Now tell me, any parent, when your children, Roscoe, when your daughters are doing right, what would you withhold from them? What is it? If they came and asked, what would you withhold And you still give them gifts. We still do that. We still do that. The whole thing is this here. When our children are living such a way and we have the means to bless them, guess what we do? We bless them without them even what? That's a picture of our Heavenly Father. He just gives us gifts because we are doing what is right and because we're believing him and we're believing his word, he just gives us gifts through the Holy Spirit that we never expected. Not gifts so much of ministries, but personal gifts for us. For us. Isn't this something? How many of you have brothers and sisters? How many of you got a Christmas gift that was just for all of y'all? For all of you. Okay. Now, some people will say what they buy is a family gift, which is Monopoly or something. We're all going to sit down and play. But 
If you never got a personal gift, how would you feel? If your mom and dad never bought a gift just for you, how would you feel? And that's God. He's so personal that he gives me the gift because he knows my desire. He knows my heart. He knows what I have need of. He gives me that gift just for me. Not for y'all. For me. For me. For me. That's my gift. That's what he's given me to enjoy and to have because I'm pleasing to him. People, when you neglect your salvation, the person you're really neglecting is not God, but yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that, Lord, your word is able to speak to our hearts and the Holy Spirit is able, oh God, to somehow move us and touch us anew and afresh.